here we go, up here on the slide. We got Romans 8, 26 through 28. And I'm going to ask if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word. It's up here on the screen. It's in your bulletin. Um, it's in your Bible that you brought with you tonight. If you would, follow along with me as I read this for us out loud. God's word says this. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth as I preach tonight and also the meditations of everyone's heart in here would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, make us attentive to your word. Make us captivated by it. Make us eager to know what it means. And I pray that you would reward that with fruitfulness in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can be seated. When Jesus, the eternal Son of God, rose from the dead on the third day, later on, 40 days later actually, he ascended, in, he ascended into heaven and is there seated at, well, you tell me, where is Jesus now seated? right, the right hand of God, the right hand of the Father. I, I gave that one over to y'all because we sang the song to start with the creed, then we just said the Apostles' Creed, so I was hoping that some of that language about he ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty would kind of be sticking in your brains. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, high above every dominion, authority, power, above every name that is named. That's where Jesus is presently. But I got another question for you. What is he doing there? What is Jesus constantly doing on your behalf as he sits at the right hand of the Father? I see, yeah, both sides. The work of intercession. Jesus is interceding for his people, meaning that he is pleading your case constantly by reference to what he's accomplished on the cross. So when your sins that you fall on your face in through the course of the week, when they rise up against you and seek to condemn you, Jesus tells the Father, hey, I shed my blood for those sins already. This child is redeemed. When the devil, who we've talked about in weeks past, is your ancient enemy, the accuser of the brethren. When he seeks to throw your sins in your face and say, how could you love somebody like this, God? Jesus says, that's my ransom and redeemed child. Ain't nobody talking bad about them. Ain't nobody condemning them now, especially not Satan. And, and yes, there is much that the ascension of Jesus also means when it comes to him righteously ruling and reigning over all things from the right hand of the Father. But what I really want you guys to see is that his 
seatedness at the right hand of the Father means that he is constantly interceding on your behalf. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7 says that he always lives to make intercession for his blood-bought people. That's what Jesus is doing now. But what I want to focus on tonight is something that you might not have realized. You probably did reading this text, but maybe it was new to you. And that's this, that God the Son, that is Jesus, God the Son isn't the only one who intercedes for you. Did you know that? God the Holy Spirit is also interceding for you in that same constant night and day way. And whereas as Jesus is highly exalted at the right hand of the Father, interceding, pleading your justification, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you from a much closer place. He dwells within your heart and is interceding for you there. And because of that close proximity, maybe that's why his intercession takes on a little bit of a, of a unique nature. One that's kind of specific to him. What the Holy Spirit does from your heart is intercede on behalf of your prayers. Your prayers which, forgive me, I hope this doesn't offend any of y'all, but your prayers that are often weak. And to use the title of the sermon tonight, feeble. And not just you, I'm me, all of us. Our prayers need some help. The uh, passage that we read tonight really said this. It, you don't have to kind of parse it out. It's there very straightforward in a clear way. Verse 26, you can go to the next slide. I've got it underlined here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So I have Jesus, the Son, highly exalted in the heavens, interceding on my behalf, but I also have God, the Holy Spirit, in my heart, interceding for me when I don't know what to pray for as I ought. When I don't know how to pray or what to pray for, or I'm so overwhelmed with the circumstance, I don't even feel powerful enough to pray. Or when I'm so confident that I know what God's will must be, that I pray for something mistaken and wrong. That's when the Holy Spirit steps in to intercede on my behalf and yours too. We see right here in the text that it says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so weakness is going to kind of be our entry point into this. We're going to ask, okay, what is it about a prayer life that is weak? In which places could we really see the need for someone to intercede on behalf of our prayers? And so under that umbrella term of weakness, I want to suggest two things that we can really sort of sink our teeth into to help us understand this. One is grief and one is ignorance. The Holy Spirit helps us in these weak times of grief, but he also helps us in these weak times of ignorance or our limitation of knowledge. And those are the places where we're going to see his intercessory work in our prayer really bear a lot of fruit. And actually, that's kind of an understatement. We're going to see his work, his intercessory work, really save us in a very desperate situation when our grief or our ignorance makes it where our prayers are so feeble. I know this is probably all kind of 
may be sounding a bit confusing. So hopefully as we get into this, it's going to begin to sort of present itself in a way that makes more sense. Uh, and maybe the best way is to start with grief and kind of connect it with what's come before. So that word grief that we're going to look at first, it's tied very closely to the surrounding context of this passage, just these three verses that we read. The paragraph that came right before this was, well, it was all about suffering. Last week, we looked at that paragraph, we read through it, and we read through the phrases which talked about the fallenness and the brokenness of the world um, introduces and exposes us to suffering and affliction and pain. We looked at how the, the fact that we had not been fully adopted yet, our, the redemption of our bodies is yet to come, that even that exposes us to suffering and hardship and trials and tribulations of this life. We looked at how the fact that we share in the sufferings of Jesus means that we can expect suffering in this life. Most of the verses that we read last week and then we began to sort of figure out what they mean, most of them were describing just this lot that we have of seeing trials and tribulations and hardships as people that are trying to follow Jesus in this life. However, the good news about that text is that it didn't leave us there. In fact, the, the, the whole reason that Paul was sort of laying all of that out and speaking to us about suffering is because he wanted to give us a great encouragement. And the encouragement was this, that as bad and as hard and as difficult as sufferings in our life can be, they are like nothing compared to the greatness of the glory that awaits us in Jesus. They're like a drop in the bucket. And I even shared with you guys another portion of the scripture, 2 Corinthians, that says, this light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed in it. We didn't talk about this part much last week, but Paul ended that paragraph by saying, he said basically, this is my paraphrase of what Paul said. He says, guys, I know you can't see this. I know that you can't uh, visually see it with your eyeballs. But still, even when we can't see something, we hold on to it with hope, knowing it's true, knowing it's what we've set our confidence in. And I'm telling you, even though you can't see it, the glory that awaits you will make all of this look like nothing. So that's the great encouragement that he gives coming out of that middle section of Romans 8. But starting in on this, this next verse that we have here, you can go to the next slide. We have the word likewise. Now, what does the word likewise mean? Also, yeah, that's really pretty much the best kind of synonym for it. Also, in addition to, um, not only that, but this also. What Paul's saying here is that he's about to give us another encouragement for walking through the sufferings and the trials of this life. Last week, the encouragement was, hey, these sufferings are like nothing compared to what's to come. But now he's given us a new one. Likewise, he says, the spirit helps you in your weakness. And he does it by interceding for you with groanings too deep for words when you don't know how to pray. 
You know, I, I kind of scratched my head this week as I was connecting the dots between those two things. Because I was like, does that really help me that much in my trials and my sufferings? I mean, it was obvious to me last week how it was very helpful and encouraging to hear that future glory was going to make my present sufferings look small in comparison. That's encouraging. But Paul's saying like, hey, this is also an encouragement for you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you when you don't know how to pray. And I'm like, okay, that's good, I guess. Why is it that Paul thinks that that is an encouragement on the same level of the one that we saw last week? Well, I think it has to do with those moments in our life, those seasons of such inconsolable sadness and grief that we literally can't find words to put to our prayers. Have you ever been in a scenario in a season of your life where the cares and the struggles of this world overwhelm you to the point where you can't even really feel like you can communicate it to a friend? When you can't see because tears are just filling your eyes so heavily. When, when you feel like maybe you have the desire to pray, you know you should pray and you want to pray, but you literally are so weak because of all you've been buffeted with that you can't get the words out. If you know what I'm talking about, and I think probably all of you do, and if you don't, there will be a day when you know that. You know why this is so encouraging. Because it means when you are in those places where you feel too powerless to even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit, he's there, speaking on your behalf, praying for you in an intercession. And, and in this very clever sort of connection of words, we're told that the Holy Spirit groans with groanings too deep for words. Actually, I don't know, Jess, could you back up a little bit? I think this one's a little bit ahead of where I want to be. That's the one that I want to do, yeah. So he intercedes with us with groaning, with groanings too deep for words, which if you recall from the text last week, we were told that the sufferings of this world, both what creation goes through and what we ourselves go through, it's like we're groaning in the pains of childbirth was the phrase that the scripture gave us. Like a woman in labor, exhausted and weary and in pain. That's metaphorically what it can feel like when we're walking through the sufferings of this world. And so in this really clever move, what we have here in the scripture is saying, you know what? When the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, he groans as well. With groanings too deep for words. Why is it that he would groan? <laughs> Especially since the reason that the scripture told us that we usually groan is in pain and suffering and despair and hopelessness. The Holy Spirit doesn't experience that. He's fully God. He knows the glory that is awaiting us. He's not groaning in despair. I think the reason that he groans on behalf of his people is because he is presenting our prayers to God the Father in a way that is commiserate with what we're experiencing, with empathy, with sympathy, with solidarity, 
the Holy Spirit is taking our request to God with all the feeling and the passion that we're going through in those seasons of deep despair. I I used an example preaching up in paradise this morning that didn't go very well, but I'm going to try it again, and maybe the second time through I'll do better. But basically what I said is, the Holy Spirit, when he intercedes for us, if, if he's groaning for us with groans too deep for words, what it means is that he's not like this cold, disconnected, distant representative. Like, he's not going to God the Father and saying, uh, human number 879246 uh, is going through some things. Uh, maybe we should help him out. No. Holy Spirit comes to God the Father and he communicates what's going on in our heart, in our mind, and in our suffering and our despair in a way that's fitting to what we're going through. He pleads on our behalf and he does so in a way that matches what we feel so that he's not some cold, distant uh, presenter of a request, but he's an advocate He's one that sees what you're going through, knows what you're going through, experiences it with you, and can bring it to God the Father with the same passion and intensity that it deserves. And that might seem like just, like, who cares? But that matters to me. And maybe it matters to some of you that when the Holy Spirit intercedes on my behalf, he does so in a way which fits all that I'm feeling. There might be another reason, though that the Holy Spirit is said to groan with groanings too deep for words. And it's this, in those seasons of despair and sorrow I've been describing, sometimes our deepest prayers are the ones without words because we can't find words to describe what we're feeling. There seemingly is none that will describe truly and accurately what we're going through. It's at times like those that I personally in my life and in my struggles have felt the most lonely and isolated and trapped because I so desperately want to be able to verbalize what I'm going through to my friends, to my family, and most importantly to my God in prayer. But I can't. You could give me the biggest dictionary in the world and I can't find words that fit all that's going on in my heart and my spirit. And it's in those times where I like, I fantasize about like, what if my heart had like a USB port on it and I could just plug in a cord and transmit everything that's going on in here that I have no words for, no even inkling of how to describe it, but I could just plug it in and somebody else could take it and I could just say, here, this, this is what I'm feeling. Help me, please. That's a desperate fantasy to have because what it means is that we feel so isolated. And so in this interior prison of not knowing how I will ever express what's going on internally. And yet the Holy Spirit who intercedes for me with groanings too deep for words, that lack of verbal communication, it doesn't hinder him doesn't stop him from knowing what's going on in your heart and bringing it to God the Father in a way that doesn't need words. This is probably the cheesiest analogy I've ever given in the pulpit, 
that the Holy Spirit is like that USB cord plugging straight into your heart, soul, spirit, knowing what's there, saying, you don't have to describe this to me. I get it. And I can communicate it in a way to your heavenly father that doesn't need eloquent words to get through. I can groan on your behalf in a way that's deeper than words. I believe Paul shares this with his readers as an encouragement to them because he's saying, in the sufferings of the world that you will be walking through, if you aren't already, there are going to be times when you feel like you have so much going on in your interior heart that you don't even know how to pray or what to pray or even have words to express it. But don't lose heart because the Holy Spirit that dwells in you is taking all of that constantly to your heavenly Father. And even though your prayers might be feeble and weak and nonverbal, the Holy Spirit is interceding still on your behalf. You are not alone. So I told you, grief and ignorance were the two pieces. We've just done grief. So let, now let's move on to ignorance. So um, for the ignorance part, I want to say something that might not be right for a preacher to say in the pulpit, but here we go. The ministry of prayer, the work of prayer, is really awkward. Extremely awkward. And when you think about it, you realize that you've been given a task in prayer that you actually, by yourself, are unequipped for. So a big part of prayer is lifting up our request to God. That is sharing with him the desires of our heart, asking that he would protect uh, our loved ones and friends and other people, asking that he would intervene in the events of the world. Lord, please, you know, bring peace to what's going on in Ukraine right now. Lord, please bring protection to my dear friend as she's going in for surgery. Lord, please bring healing to my dad. All these things are things we're told prayer is in large part consistent. That is not an English phrase. Prayer consists of, in a large part, these requests, these offering up of our desires to God. We're told to ask for specific things in specific ways. But here's the awkward part. We don't have God-like knowledge. We don't perfectly know the will of God. And so more often than not, we are praying for the Lord to do specific things in the world or in our life, unaware of if that is his best. Unaware of if that request will be the thing that gives him the most glory and is the most good for his people in the world. We don't know. I mean, a lot of times we're really confident that we know that. But truthfully, we don't. And so the awkwardness of prayer is that you've been commanded to make prayers of petition a consistent part of your life, but you are ill-equipped to be able to do it well, at least in your own power. So, Verse 26 that we've looked at already kind of has this uh, outline for us a little bit. You can go to the next slide now, Jess. So 
we've talked about this phrase already, but I've got it underlined again. It says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And so far, we've talked about that in connection with grief, when we're so overwhelmed and stressed by grief that we just don't know what to pray for. But this is also true of any time that we bring a request to God. We do not know with confidence what to pray for as we ought. Always. And we could play devil's advocate here and say, "Uh, Josh, Jesus teaches us what to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. That's true. He generally does, and I don't want to discount that. Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to pray for God's glory, to say, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. He teaches us to pray that each day we'd be given our daily bread. We know what to pray for in that broad, general sense. But when our weakness and ignorance begins to show up is when we begin to apply that general direction of prayer to the specific circumstances of our life. So I'm praying for God's glory. I'm praying for his kingdom to come. I'm praying for my daily bread. But I'm beginning to put it on very concrete, specific things that are going on in my world. Lord, intervene over here. Intervene over there. Lord, give this. Take away that. Lord, heal this. Lord, show yourself there. Show yourself here. All of these specifics I'm asking the Lord. And yet, like I said previously, I don't have the godlike knowledge to have the confidence that any of that is truly what I should be praying. At least the specifics are. And if you doubt that, maybe a good little exercise to do would be to uh, do what you can. If you've got a journal, if you've got your phone and social media, go back to this day 10 years ago and try to figure out what you were praying for specifically then. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but at least in my specific life, what I was praying for 10 years ago, I look back today and go, ooh, Bad idea, Josh. (laughs) Yikes. So what do we do? What do we do because of this lack of knowledge, this ignorance that we have? We, We could stop praying specifically because we're afraid that we'd pray for something outside of God's will. Guys, that is not a good approach. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus himself, the same one who taught us the Lord's Prayer, also tells parable after parable of the importance of praying with boldness and specifically he invites us into specific prayer laying before God a request our desires of our heart the thing that we want him to do so the answer is not just to give up on prayer the answer well you guys know it already it's in what we read tonight praying with boldness and praying with specificity but trusting in the fact that the Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf even when our knucklehead brains don't get it right. So we said it already. The Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. But then watch what happens next. We're told in verse 27, he who searches hearts, it's God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
even when you don't know what to pray, even when you pray something that isn't specifically in tune with God's will, the Holy Spirit is able to step in, take those feeble prayers, and present them to God the Father in a way that fits with his will. And that is good. And that is right. How exactly this happened, how the the Holy Spirit intercedes in this way, I I almost thought of it not so much like intercession this week, but more like interception. Like, you know, the Holy Spirit intercepts our past and is like, yeah, let me intercept this and take it the right direction. How exactly this all works is a mystery. It really is. You know, sometimes in church we talk about the mystery of the Trinity or the mystery of the sacrament that we'll take later, which they are. Sacrament is a word that literally means mystery. But I think prayer is one of the mysterious, most mysterious things in the entirety of the Christian life. How God uses it. In particular, how the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. It's so mysterious that it made me a little bit gun-shy to bring to you an illustration that would very neatly wrap this up. But I do have one that I think is helpful that doesn't hopefully uh, muddy the waters more than they should be. And it comes from this book. It's a book that's just called Prayer by uh, Timothy Keller. You guys have probably never heard of him. We never quote him at church. Right, Marion? You've never heard of Timothy Keller. No, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. He's also a PCA pastor. Our church is a PCA church, so I like to refer to him as a colleague, me and Tim. We're colleagues. But I, I read this book, I think, eight years ago, and um, I remembered a story he told at the end of it that I thought might be fitting here. And perhaps it is and will help us. So Tim Keller is talking about when he was younger and how he was dating a girl that he was head over heels in love with, was convinced that she was the one that he would spend the rest of his life with and be his partner in ministry. She didn't know about the partner and ministry element of that. And so when Tim told her that he was pursuing enrolling at seminary to become a vocational pastor, uh, she freaked out and she left. She didn't want any part of that. And so Tim Keller, in his own words, says, I began just fervently praying on my knees in my prayer closet, just begging the Lord to bring her back into my life. And I would say things like, Lord, I need her. I can't do this without her. Like this whole vision for my life, she's an integral part of that. Of course, that particular woman did not come back into his life, which he says, thank heavens for that, because years later I met Kathy, who became my wife that I've been married to for 50 years and my partner in ministry, and perfect, we perfectly complement each other to walk this road that the Lord had for us. Thank God that that's what happened instead. But he said, what did, what did that mean about my prayer? He said, did, did God deny my prayer? And he says, well, there's a part of that that we could answer yes and a part of that we could answer no. He said, God did deny the part of my prayer that specifically asked for that woman, that specific woman to be my wife and to be my partner in ministry. That one he said no to because it was mistaken, it was wrong. In my ignorance, I was asking for the wrong thing. He said, however, God did answer the part of my prayer where I was desperately searching for a partner in life. 
for someone to walk with me through ministry, to someone who I would love and they would love me. And to that portion of my prayer, the Lord said yes and answered it in ways far beyond my imagining. Now, here comes the part that's relevant to what we're talking about today, and I think I have it up here on a slide. I'm going to read it from my book, though. He says this, The Spirit, even when you do not know how to pray, takes your core prayer and prays as you should be praying before the throne. When you struggle in prayer, you can come before God with the confidence that he is going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he does. He does care, and he loves you boundlessly. And just so you know, that's the paragraph right on the heels of him telling that story about his prayer when he was in his 20s. This is his reflection on that. And I love the fact that he, he introduces this category of your core prayer. Because what he's saying is that the, my prayer at its core was a prayer for my wife, a prayer for the love of my life, a prayer for a ministry partner. The auxiliary, the accidental around it was the specifics. It's going to be this person and it's going to look like this and we're going to do that. The specifics were wrong. The core was right. And in this sort of visual he gives us, the Holy Spirit's intercession is to take the core of your prayer. And as he's bringing it to God the Father, he's stripping away all the false assumptions and pretenses, all the ignorance of us thinking that we've got it figured out what God's plan is, all that stuff that sometimes makes our prayer so feeble. The Holy Spirit is stripping that away. So what's left when he brings it to the feet of God the Father is the core of our prayer, the thing that God delights to answer and the thing that's in accordance with his will. I told somebody after church in paradise that I couldn't help but thinking probably because I cooked corn this week. It was like an ear of corn. That's, that's my feeble prayer. And the Holy Spirit is shucking it, pulling the stray leaves down until what he brings to the Father is that beautiful silver queen corn with none of that stringy stuff hanging off of it anymore. It's the core of what I really want and what's really fits in God's will. That, I believe, is what this passage is talking about when it speaks of the Holy Spirit interceding for us when we don't know how to pray for what we ought to or when we don't know what to pray for at all. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in the way that we're reading up here. And he intercedes for us in a way where he makes our prayers fit into the grand and great and beautiful will of God, which we are told in Romans 8.28, the last verse that we read, is for our good, which is probably an understatement. For our good. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. I never thought that I would preach a sermon where I relegated this verse to the last two minutes of my sermon as a conclusion. But, you know, I'm a weird pastor. I do things differently. You guys know that. What does this say? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Why does that verse? Most all of us know this verse. What we probably don't know is that it falls directly after this verse about the intercession of the Holy Spirit. 
How do these two things fit together? Because he's telling you that when the Holy Spirit intercedes for you to make your prayers fitting into the will of God, he's doing you, I was going to say a favor, but that's not right. He's doing a good thing for you. He's not giving you second best. He's not giving you something bland and boring. He is fitting your prayers and your desires into this grand tapestry of God's will, which means good for those who love God. Isn't that amazing? And I hope you all remember that. When you see the bumper sticker that has Romans 8.28 on it, or your friend, you know, gives you the, the Hallmark card that has it, that you not only will read that verse, but remember where it comes from in the Bible and how it means that the Holy Spirit interceding for you means that he is working together all things for your good. The will of God, which isn't second best. Which is the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. And it's why... In that quote that we read from Keller, he said, the Holy Spirit gives you the things in prayer that you would have asked for if you knew everything that God does. Isn't that a trippy thought? But if you had the knowledge of God, if you could see the full picture, the grand tapestry of his good will, the things that God gives you are the things that you would pray for. What we pray for too often in our ignorance are things that are far lesser. And to use that comparison language that we used a lot last week, there is nothing compared to what God has in store and for what the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. That's why his intercession matters. God the Son interceding for you in the heavens, God the Spirit interceding for you that work is vital. I've loved going through Romans 8 these last through few weeks because it's, I feel like every week it's opening my eyes to a new ministry of the Holy Spirit that I haven't really thought much of before. I mean, I knew, but not really dug into. And I hope it's doing the same for you. I know it's different as a congregant, like you didn't spend the whole week looking through this like I did preparing for the, the, the sermon, but Still, God is putting this in our path as a church body for us to chew on, to marinate in, and to know the Holy Spirit better. So let me pray for us, and then we'll head to the table together. <laughs> Father, thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you said, hey, boys, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you the comforter, the helper, the guider. Holy Spirit, thank you for your ministry in our hearts. Take the, even these prayers right now, Lord, even my prayers right now, we pray that you would intercede for them and with them and present them to the Father in a way pleasing to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we move over to the table now, I'm going to remind you how we've gotten back into the swing of serving you guys as you come forward and take of the elements. The last couple of times we've done this, we've kind of had really big lines. So I asked Marion when she set up the meal tonight to give us enough to do three lines. So I'm hoping that we have uh, folks that are able to help me serve here, here, and here. However, I know a lot of our elders are out of town tonight or sick. 
So Brad, I know you're here. If you're an elder or a deacon at RPC, could you just come sit right here so I know who I have to help me serve tonight? That'd be fantastic. So like I was saying, you're going to come through the line and grab these elements that will serve to you guys. And if you would, hold on to them and take them back to your seat so that we can then all partake together. Just so you know, we decided to go ahead and just do gluten-free for all of the bread. So there's no like, oh, which one's gluten-free, which one's not. It's all gluten-free. So we're all eating gluten-free, dairy-free tonight, guys. We're, is there a name for it? That's not vegan, is it? Or is, it, is that vegan? I should stop talking now. This is out of my wheelhouse. I'll talk theology, but when we get to nutrition, I should shut up. So it's all gluten-free and all grape juice. So no options tonight. We're all getting the same stuff. And... I'm excited about this meal. Now, we've said this many times before, but I'll say it again. This meal is for those who believe in Jesus, who have followed him in faith, and are baptized in his name. That's you. Come, take and eat. Whether you're weak or strong, whether you're doubting or certain, this meal is what God's going to use to strengthen your faith tonight. If you don't know Jesus, if you're here visiting or just checking things out, we're glad you're here. You are always welcome here. But we'd ask that you not take this meal until you're ready to commit to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The Bible tells us that when we eat and drink in an unworthy manner of this meal, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. So I'm not saying that to be rude or offensive. I'm saying that for your protection, which we take very seriously. For those who know Jesus, though, come take and eat. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get set up to serve and then we'll invite you guys forward. Lord, we ask and pray that you would minister to our soul and spirit through these elements. That even as the Holy Spirit intercedes in our prayers, we know that he is the one who feeds us with the spiritual body and blood of Christ in this meal. We pray that in him doing that, Lord, we would be strengthened and we would know that we truly are beloved children of God. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus.